What's up, everybody? It's Jeffrey Lofton, otherwise known as Who Is That Again? And I want to welcome you to another episode of the Broke Millennial Podcast. So as a kid, I had always longed for the day that I could live in a big city, or even a medium-sized city. You know, bright lights, big city, skyscrapers, always something to do. And when I graduated from college, I moved to the metro Atlanta area. And while I had some of the bright lights and big city moments, I lived and worked in the suburbs. Now, locally, this was a good thing. After having grown up in a small town and going to school in Athens, which is a nice-sized city with a good small-town feel. And you can get everywhere in Athens in a relatively decent amount of time. There's some signature restaurants and plenty of nostalgia to go around, along with a bustling campus that is growing at a significant pace. So I go from a nice-sized but small-field college town to this sprawling metropolitan area of Atlanta. My commute from one suburb to the other was stressful and infuriating, and I didn't really live near anyone I knew, so I either had to travel a good bit to get to friends or just spend most of my time in my terrace-level apartment, which apparently had belonged to a series of cigarette smokers prior to my moving in. And there wasn't enough airwick-scented oils to get that smell out of there for the entire year that I lived there. And so considering all of this, after a while, I caught myself saying, wow, I really hate this. But as soon as I made this statement, I realized that this is everything that I had longed for. I'm living in this city. There are lots of places to eat. And if I want to do more, I could find it in close proximity. And this whole ordeal brings to mind the old adage, be careful what you wish for. Because whatever those dreams are that you have, maybe it's a career path or place to live or even dreams of starting a family, it's important to understand that the fulfillment of those dreams and aspirations will have some cost. But don't allow yourself to be consumed with the cost that you dismiss the fact that you're stepping into living your dreams. You're so close. Don't quit. Today we have a very special guest. LaShonda Edie is currently an assistant professor at Penn State University in their PR department. If you don't know, that's a huge deal and great opportunity for any academic in the public relations space. She is married to Jack, who is the director of athletic bands at Western Carolina University, and they got two beautiful daughters and have a home in Cullowee, North Carolina. Enjoy. All right, well, welcome everybody to another episode of the Broke Millennial Podcast. I'm so excited to have... With me, LaShonda Edie. Hold up, wait. Dr. LaShonda 
Edie, and I'm gonna let her introduce herself and tell us where she is now. We're gonna get into this conversation. Hello, everyone. I am LaShonda Edie. Uh, Jeffrey knows he does not have to use my title, but yes, I'm Dr. LaShonda Edie, and I am currently <laughs> an assistant professor at Penn State University. And I teach public relations courses and research and crisis management. Mm, wow. All right. Okay. That's a whole lot. So how did you get into that? How did I get into teaching or how did I get into public relations? Let's do the public relations first and then let's talk about the teaching. Okay, good. All right. So... When I was in high school, people used to always tell me that I was a people person. And so mm. therefore they said public relations would be the, you know, a great career for you. And so when I enrolled at the great University of Tennessee, go Vols, oh. I immediately don't hate, don't hate the Vols are great. Yes, Ball for Life. I'm Rocky sorry. Top, Tennessee. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, yes. We're <laughs> awesome. Um, when I enrolled there, I immediately, um, you know, got into an intro class and I actually learned on the first day of class that really there's so much more to public relations than being a people person. And that if that was the only reason, um, that we wanted to do public relations, then we should stop right there. Mm. <laughs> but fortunately, what I did learn about it, I really loved and, you know, it's so much more to it than just being extroverted and talking with people but you know um, strategic communications is you know very important and it can it can take you in a lot of different directions and so mm -hmm. that part of it uh, was really exciting for me so uh, I finished there well did a few internships while I was in undergrad just to make sure that before I graduated it was what I wanted to do because I wasn't trying to go back to school I didn't want to be wasting that money those good people were giving me and paying for school Mm. And so I really, I really loved it. And at the same time, I also knew that I eventually wanted to be a professor. Um, but at that time, I wanted to work my way up the corporate chain, become, uh, you know, chief marketing or, excuse me, communications officer, get a nest egg. And then when my children were grown and we were like rich and could, could afford a real big pay cut, then I was going to go back, get my doctor and become a professor. And so um, I'm sure you could guess that things did not go as planned, clearly. But after I graduated from there or right before I graduated, I met this guy that was already living in Orlando and working and thought he was pretty decent. So I went ahead and moved <laughs> down there to Florida and left all of my network everywhere else that I had interned and from school. And at the time, I was a very free bird. And so... I was not that thrilled to go on job interviews. And when they asked me, why are you here in Orlando? I have to say, oh, well, I followed a guy. Like that just seems so, so kind of juvenile. And, you know, like, is she going to be a flight risk? You know, she came mm -hmm. all the way here just for a guy. But fortunately, that story ended well, too, because we'll be celebrating 16 years married Aww. this June. But yeah, so, thank you. Yes, yes, Team Edie. Um, so I worked uh, when I first got to Orlando. I actually 
first started um, in an advanced internship in the public affairs department at Walt Disney World. And they do Mm -hmm. the crisis communication for all of the parks and the resorts. And in that department, they don't have an entry level position, of course, because they're not going to let somebody wet behind their ears speak on behalf of Walt Disney World. Yes, (laughs) right. So they use that advanced internship kind of as an entry level position. And so it was just a really great opportunity to see how some of the best and brightest people in the business do it. And just to be able to be there and to see how they strategize and how they decide, you know, what they're going to say or if they're going to say something and how all of that kind of proactive crisis management work was a really great um, opportunity for me. And so also, I think that was like my sixth or seventh internship. So my family was not that thrilled when I graduated and they were like, oh, so what are you going to do now? And I said, oh, I have another internship. And and I could always see their faces kind of go like, oh, another internship. Like when is the job coming? Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt that way a bit too, but there couldn't have been a better place for me to start. I just didn't know that then because I think that those six months there at Disney continue to open doors for me even now that at that time I couldn't even have imagined. And so um, even my first job when I left there, it was indirectly because of someone that I worked with there at Disney. And so um, it was great. Uh, And so after that, or while I was there, the director of that department, he sat down with um, the Orlando Business Journal And they published an annual like book of lists where they have like the top agencies or the top whatever's in all the different industries. And he told me, he said, I know all of the principals at these public relations agencies here. And he made a copy of the list and checked off each one. He said, do what you want with it. And so I went and I contacted every one of those people that he said he knew personally And I said, hey, can I just come talk to you about the industry? I'm new to the area and I just want to learn about your experience. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't even explicitly saying I want to come and try to get a job from you. Really, I just want to hear from you and learn from you. And they all said, "Okay." And so Mm. um, I was so appreciative of him doing that. And, you know, it's something that I tell all my students now that they also need to do because the whole idea is you go there and even though it's not a job interview and even though they might not have a position right then, if you really can tell your story in a compelling way and tell them things that they will remember Mm. because of the positions that they're in, a lot of opportunities do come across their desk. And so when those opportunities come, if they remember you because you were compelling and they thought that you had, you know, potential or promise, then they send those your way. And that's exactly how I got my first um, full-time job in the industry was from a, the, was from one of those informational interviews. Mm. And so. Before we go to that. Oh, first sorry. Job, yeah. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. No, 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 no. That's all great. I need to give you time to breathe. I also need to give the folks who are hearing all of this information time to breathe because <laughs> that I, is a whirlwind. And there are things even in there that, I didn't know, like, I didn't know you worked for or did an internship at Disney. Like, so before before we get to the first job, what were some of the things, I'm just curious, what were some of the things that you, like, did? Was there something big that happened there that you would kind of 
kind of were a part of or maybe uh, were around at the time. And you ain't got to tell the years, I know. Yeah. No, it's okay, because if I tell what stuff was happening, then a quick Google search will know. Like, yeah. I'm trying to think how old you were when it happened. Um, I think right before I started the internship, unfortunately, um, a little boy died on Mission Space. And, um, oh. and so it's going to sound bad, but it's not. But I was like, so, I, of course... Firstly, I was sad that the boy died, but because I knew that the place that I was going to be working was the one managing the communication surrounding that, I was like, man, why couldn't I have started this job a week ago so I really could see them in action uh, with mm-hmm. that. But um, so that that happened right before I got there. And while I was there, you know, if you think about it, Walt Disney World is basically a small city, a small Mm -hmm. municipality. They they have their own, um, like the Reedy Creek um, Improvement District, where they have their own utilities and all that kind of stuff. So there are like small crises happening there all the time because of just how many people they have there. Uh, Mm. And so while I was there, I think there were some things that happened at one of the water uh, parks as well. But on the proactive side and some of the happy, happier stuff, I also got to work with um, the community relations department. And so back then it was called the, the Walt Disney World for the classic um, football game that used mm. to happen between FAM and it was BCC at the time, but it's now BCU. And mm-hmm. so I got to work with community relations and with the minority business development department as well on that football game surrounding that. So that was nice. And I got to have, you know, a little taste of what they were doing with, um, you know, recruiting minority suppliers and that kind of thing. I also got to help um, write some articles and different things for community relations that were going out to community leaders. and also got to work some with the Walt Disney World Conservation Fund as well and some of their proactive communication. So all kinds of stuff. And I got to wake up at like five in the morning to go help do live um, live shots for something that was happening in the Magic Kingdom uh, while still being in the Disney look, which can be difficult in that Florida heat. So mm. just all kinds of stuff. It, it was a, a really... A really, really great experience, and I would love to go back there any day, but uh, my time there definitely was a really great start to my career, and um, I would say leading up to that, I had really good internships, too, that helped with that. I interned at Maytag Corporation, uh, excuse me, headquarters, Scripps Networks that does like HGTV, Fine Living, DIY. I helped with the airbag and seatbelt safety campaign um, with Click It or Ticket for a semester up in DC when I was still in in undergrad. And I also um, interned at the South Carolina Educational Television Station, which is the PBS affiliate uh, for South Carolina. So there were a lot of different um, things that I got to do and some really great experiences like accompanying the Maytag men on, like promo visits and stuff and um, planning an event for the the editors from Meredith Publications that's in Des Moines, Iowa. And they do Mm -hmm. like um, 
I think they do like uh, Better Homes and Garden and Southern Living and some of those type magazines. And so Maytag had an annual event where they would kind of bring them to the campus to show them the appliances and different things that they had coming out the next year. And so as the intern, <clears throat> excuse me, I got to plan that event from start to finish over the summer. And so that was really great too. And I got to learn a lot about like R&D and about how those timelines work. I got to learn about lean management and Six Sigma, which is nothing that we ever talk about in communications. But because I was there in a manufacturing, um, not in the manufacturing facility, but they're close to one. I was able to learn some about that kind of stuff as well. So that was a neat experience. And I got to attend the Iowa State Fair, which I do have to say is a very unique and huge fair. I don't know if it's as big as the Texas State Fair, but that was a neat experience too. I worked the Maytag booth there. Yes, it's a big thing. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. I didn't know that. I feel like I might have heard something about it, but it makes sense. Uh, It makes sense. So, okay. What was that like? The fair or living in Iowa? (laughs) 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 Nothing wrong. Uh, Yeah, both. Living in Iowa was interesting. Um, I I used to say that if if Maytag was anywhere else, I would have loved to have gone back there and worked because I worked with some really great people that I still consider to be mentors to this day. And I was just so grateful for them allowing me to do more than just kind of the grunt work that sometimes interns have to do. Now, um, being in Tornado Alley, that was an experience, you know, like looking out at night and not knowing what's really in the distance, you know, Mm. Um, hearing tornado sirens go off sometimes during the day. Um, And I spent my 21st birthday there in Iowa and we went to the dog track because that was the most interesting thing to do there for somebody turning 21 years old. So it was not bad. It was a (laughs) it was a good experience. Um, Unfortunately, shortly after I left, the Maytag um, headquarters was moved because they got bought by their competitor, Whirlpool. And so Mm. when I was there, I also had my first experience with kind of being um, at a scene where there's picketing going on. I think the first day of my internship, when I drove in, there were picketers there because of kind of the turmoil that was going on within the company. I can remember being um, with my supervisor visiting the agency that they had at the time in Minneapolis. And while we were going to the agency that day, they gave out pink slips in the office. And so it was sadly, you know, uh, I think a stressful time for a lot of people who work there and Mm -hmm. to kind of be an intern there. And, you know, people don't really know how your presence is impacting, whether or not they get to leave or stay as well. That was Mm -hmm. kind of um, an interest. I don't know if interesting is the word, but just kind of an awkward and weird time to be there as well but that's Mm. you know that's a part that's a part of um I guess business that's unfortunately some of those changes have to happen so overall it was a really really great experience though yeah that yeah that I mean it's interesting I mean just different parts of the country and you know seeing like you said just seeing some of the 
some of the um i guess the different uh ways folks do things the different ways people have fun stuff like that yes. and then of course <laughs> and then of course Went to my first know, drive-in movie theater there though that was me that can't say i've ever done that i can't that say me. i've ever yes, done it. that was me <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about that first so we, you know we talked about the internships tell mm-hmm. me about like that first job after disney Yes, that first full-time job. Okay, so, well, let, okay, if I'm being completely honest and transparent, there was one in between, but I don't consider that a public relations job, and I only stayed in it for, like, I think three months because I quickly knew uh, it was working for Florida's Blood Centers, which is the local blood bank there, and mm-hmm. it, was, it was more of a, a marketing job, and so it mm-hmm. just really wasn't fulfilling, and I knew that it wasn't what I wanted to do. I went to school to do public relations, and that's what I had already been doing. So mm-hmm. I knew that that's what I needed to be doing. And honestly, um, that job, we were eligible for bonuses there. So I made a whole lot of money in those three months that I was there. Maybe it was six months. I think I was there six months. Uh, that job helped pay for my wedding. Like I made a whole lot of money. Wow. But, um, fortunately, I talked with my then fiance and said, I know that this money is nice, but I really feel like I need to go now before we are actually dependent on that money, you know, Mm -hmm. because let's say we had a family already and a mortgage and all these other bills to pay and really needed that money um, to survive, then it would have been much harder to leave that job that was not very fulfilling. And Mm -hmm. so he was supportive of that. And so I resigned. Um, and well, not before I had another job, but I resigned <laughs> and I left to go work in internal communications at Florida Hospital. And at the time, Florida Hospital was the largest provider of Medicaid and Medicare services in the country. And mm. so I was the editor for their employee publication called The Times. And I also was responsible for helping to sometimes ghostwrite messages from the chief people officer what is what they called uh him but you know basically the chief human resources officer and Mm -hmm. I also helped um write messages for management and so even though that was an entry-level position it was such a great place to start because I had to really interact with you know various levels of management in the hospital all the way up to the CEO and so that was just a really great place for me to hone my skills, to really learn how to um, make sure that I was writing for the intended audience. And so there there were some not so great parts of my experience there, but I would say that all in all, um, I grew from being there. I was there, I think about four years Mm -hmm. and got to do a little bit of media relations and a little bit of crisis as well. And so I'm appreciative for those experiences. I also had some bad ones that I had to learn about as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yes. Like I think um, for me, for example, when I got in the department, the 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 um, like senior vice president of marketing and public relations, the gentleman. A lot of people were, you know, very intimidated by him. Didn't really like to say anything to him, but to me. I would always talk to him just like he was anyone else because I saw um, like my my manager and I was like, you know, I would love to be in a position like that. And so 
if I want to be a part of his trusted circle, you know, mm-hmm. I can't act like I'm scared of him. I got to right. be able to talk to him mm-hmm. just like anyone else. And so I did not, not like in a disrespectful way, right, right, but, right. you know, approaching him and having dialogue with him, just like I, you know, deserve, I guess, the same attention or respect as anyone else, whether or not I'm just a lowly coordinator, you know? And so there were some things he told me, like they were going to promote me, I think less than six months after I had gotten there. And we brought people in to hire uh, who were going to report to me and all of this. And then all of a sudden there was kind of a, a change and doing mm. that, I won't go into all the details because I'll let bygones be bygones. But at the time, he came in and he told me, you know, basically we've gone in a different direction and I'm hiring this person to be a director over you because I don't want this other person to really be worried about it anymore, which now, because I know better, should have been kind of like my first sign that I needed to get up out of there. But mm. instead, I still was thinking, you know, I really want to become a part of that circle so I can work my way up, you know, here and um, get into management. And so when he told me that, even though it was really actually a problem that Mm -hmm. he did that, um, I was like thinking, oh, well, at least, you know, he told me this, you know, I'm on my way Mm. to being a part of that circle. And, you know, yes. I don't feel good that now they've kind of changed what they said they were going to do. And I don't get a direct report. I don't get promoted and I keep doing the same thing. And the person that they brought in over me had no experience at all, but was brought in at the director level. And I had to report to that person as well. And so Mm. I just, yes, it, it is horrible. But at the time I was just so wet behind the ears and so excited to feel like I was starting to get that access that it was like I kind of looked past it because I felt like I was on my way to where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. But in reality, that was a red flag and the writing was on the wall and that job went south um, pretty fast because mm. I also got accredited in public relations while I was working there. And so I asked them for more money. I said, you know, I have this accreditation now that demonstrates my expertise in my field. And I feel that that warrants a raise. And they did not like that. <laughs> what? Why? And, 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 you know, in my annual review, you know, and you know this, Jeffrey, what you see is what you get. I'm so honest and straight up. I'm a, you know, I won't be rude or, you know, curse anybody out. But I also just am not going to lie either. And mm. so, you know, I told, to- <clears throat> excuse me, I told him, you know, I felt like we needed to be more strategic in our department. Mm. And here are the reasons why, like, just because it's working, you know, we don't need to just get caught up and keeping business as usual and just mm-hmm. doing all the same things if they mm-hmm. aren't, if they aren't accomplishing what, what we are working towards. And I just don't think that that was good. You know, I mm-hmm. think that was the beginning of the end for me, asking mm-hmm. for more money and also saying like, come on now, we need to have some strategy here, which seems obvious but I think um was mm. a bit too much for a person that probably was not qualified for that position anyways so oh. um eventually some other bad stuff happened and then honestly I was asked to resign in lieu of termination mm. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know, because we got a whole, like, you got chapters. We got chapters we could go, because there are chapters that, because I, I remember we talked about this, but there are some layers that I want to uncover. So, in hindsight, I ain't going to ask who was in the wrong, but I know you said that it may have not been the right it may ha- you may have been saying the right things but it may have not been the right time who was that for was that was that more so on the on your director who just didn't couldn't grasp the idea of somebody maybe knowing <laughs> a little bit more than they did or was it perhaps some some on your side trying to shake the trees <laughs> and, I wasn't and trying to shake the trees though I really you know I thought that as a colleague and a peer in the same department what mm-hmm. I was saying ultimately was I wasn't trying it was no slight to him my mm-hmm. supervisor in my in my eyes mm-hmm. I really was trying to help make us the best that we could be you know mm-hmm. and maybe I was naive to think that me telling my direct supervisor that would be received that way. But I, I do mm-hmm. think that in hindsight, we have to read the room, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. yeah, it probably was shots fired, you know, when I said mm-hmm. that. But honestly, I think it was only shots fired because of whatever his insecurities were and because he yeah. knew that he likely was not qualified that position but I wasn't even trying to get his position that's the thing but because he probably had those insecurities and reservations about his own ability and fitness for that position I think Mm -hmm. that they just needed to get me out of there because he I just don't think he was equipped to really deal with that wow well and and that's really what I was trying to get at it was you know I I was trying to ask rather than jump in and assume and say you saying those things to him was not wrong Mm -mm, it was just the fact that (laughs) he could not or and I'm saying he I don't know if it's a he but yeah I said it's a he it is a he okay yeah and so and so it really wasn't about you. It was all about him because he couldn't, he, he just, he was so insecure about, like I said, for somebody. He and was that's my own, over- that's just my, that's just my own take. Of course, I've never heard him or anybody else say that, sure. but that, that's my own take. And, and if I'm being truthful, there was some nepotism involved too, because I actually mm. was reporting to him and his wife at the same time because she See. was my first boss. So there were just, it was just wrong on a lot of levels. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and y'all in PR. <laughs> yes, and this is a Christian hospital, faith-based hospital. The mission is to extend the healing ministry of Christ. And there was a lot of hell up in that place. There was a yeah. lot of people too. But there was, there was, there, it was some hellacious stuff going on too. I, and, I can um, get it. And so I, I was definitely um uh, a part of, of all of that and and I mean mm. I was trying not to go way deep into it but I also was on maternity leave while I was there and found out that the person who was filling in for me made significantly more than I did um, mm. when she was filling in for me and so I also asked about that and I said I know this is what you paid her hourly 
to cover my job and she didn't even do everything I was doing. So I think also in addition to my new accreditation, that if you can pay her that much to do part of my job, that you should at least give me this much more. And I mm. said, yes, I know she's contract. And so you pay her a certain amount because of the lack of benefits. So I'm not even asking you to match that, but I'm saying you at least could give me a couple more dollars. And so um, now I know that that was probably the beginning of the end for me too, because I had proof that there was kind of this pay um, disparity there. And mm. um, after that, they put me on an action plan. And I didn't know at the time that that is the beginning of firing somebody to make sure you do it the right way. Yep. And so um, they put me on an action plan. I did everything that they asked in the action plan and I documented it. But then when I met again, basically they created a whole different action plan, not because I didn't do what was in the first one. So they basically were you know, just checking the boxes so that they could make sure they could fire me and not get sued. And I didn't know that then because I was just, you know, first real job. I just had no idea. But oh. it's so funny. I've taught my students lessons in uh, when I was at SMU. We taught a lot about management as well. And, you know, not only did we teach them how to do their first job, but we were preparing them for the jobs that they're going to have five to 10 years down the line. So we talked a lot about management stuff too and mm -hmm. that was a part of it it's like yeah. what this whole progression is to fire somebody the right way and working with hr and i'm like man i didn't tell them this but i'm like man i wish i knew this then because i probably would have been looking harder for another job if i knew that that's <laughs> what was happening right. <clears throat> but still then because i was still so naive that i really just thought I don't know why I thought they were doing all those things. I didn't know that right. they were like just checking off boxes to be able to let me go. Mm -hmm. Well, and I mean, and, and this is helpful because I mean, again, that is, you know, especially when you're a, first of all, you're trying to advocate for yourself and, you know, you're trying to show, Hey, this is what I'm worth. And, you know, and I, I, I believe in what we're doing, but at the same time, I see my worth and I want to make sure that I am being properly, you know, compensated and appreciated for, for what I bring to the table. And then on top of that, you know, again, this is a mission oriented, you know, business, supposedly. Yes, and they start every meeting with prayer and all of that, but you know, <laughs> you know what they say about so-called Christian people. And I'm sure there are some there that do live that mission. So I will say that it wasn't everywhere, yeah. but definitely right, right, right. my that's... experience was not so much Christian like. And and I think that's a challenge that organizations, especially who have missions that are tied to religion and those types of things, you got to make sure that the people you are hiring can co-sign that and actually mm -hmm. can live and, and aspire to do that as well, because when they mm. don't then that is undermining your whole mission and your vision too. Listen, and you know what? And, you know, and I, I'm going to get on off of this because we could stay <laughs> on this one all day. But the truth be told, like, there's so much more to your story than just that. And so I do want to move on. You know, that was, that was a, that was one part of the path, but you, mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're, I mean, you told me a couple, I think when I, asked you about 
um, about this job that you're in now, and you called it your dream job. So let's let's keep progressing. Uh, yeah. What? Sorry. After, no, no, Lashonda. Now it's a lot of twists and turns. It's a lot of twists and turns in the story. And that's what we want. Okay, so remember the whole mission behind the Broke Millennial Podcast is to help people understand like those different paths to success. No, it, none of these paths are a straight shot. As no. much as you can plan, as much as you can, you try to map it out. You, I mean, you going it's going to yeah. be some twists never and some turns. Plan. Never, it ever, never, ever. Right. Never. So talk to me about the next, what happened, what happens next? Where did oh, you? Uh, okay, good. So while I was still there in that job, I applied to grad school at the local university there, University of Central Florida. And I was just planning to do my master's part-time so that I could teach part-time as an adjunct, not to do it full-time, just to kind of at least get my feet wet teaching because mm-hmm. I knew that's what I wanted to do later. And so when I actually did resign from that job, um, I wasn't able to find work immediately, even though I was mm. very involved in the public relations community. I was on the board of the Public Relations Society of America chapter there and all of this, and I just couldn't find work. I mean, granted, it was only, I think, the summer when I was looking for work. So it's not like I was looking for years, but I um, talked with my husband and I told him, you know, I really feel like this means that I'm supposed to go to school full time, which was asking a lot because at that time we had our first child who had just turned a year old right before I lost the job. We had just bought our first house like six months before I lost the job. So we had a mortgage and all of that. And so basically me going back to school full time was us going to one income. Mm -hmm. And my husband at the time was a high school band director, which, you know, teachers don't make a lot of money. And I'm so thankful and fortunate that, that he was supportive. And he said, okay, even though, it really didn't seem like the best idea at the time. And we didn't know exactly how that was going to work, you know, losing my income. And and he said, okay. And I am so glad, like, even though that was a very traumatic experience for me, how that job ended, I'm glad it happened that way because that point, that point in time, it changed my whole life trajectory because Mm. what I was planning to do would not have been able to happen how it did if I wasn't forced out of that job that I kind of knew I needed to be out of it it, it, it was like God I don't know you know I, I I you know I know we shouldn't dare try to you know understand God and his actions and what he what he does but I feel like I had signals throughout my time there of when I should have left and for whatever reason whether it's fear or me really wanting to try to work my way up there I just kind of kept moving forward and so I think that finally God was just like okay Mm -hmm. you 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 you're not gonna do this you know any other way so I'm just gonna end it for you now Mm. in this really bad way and it it was the best thing because once I started school full time and I have to be honest at the time I was like man 
I don't, you know, I wasn't thinking anything great about UCF because it was just the university there in town. So what, mm-hmm. like, I was just so excited that I was going to be going to school at UCF. And um, just so happens that the same year that I started, these two professors started there who are basically like the grandfather and grandmother of crisis communication research, which is what I do. Yeah. Wow. They, they they are the creators of one of the foremost theories there. And so in my time there, one of them was my thesis chair and was my advisor and the other one was on my thesis committee. And so for me to want to do crisis research, there's like no better place that I could have been. And I didn't mm-hmm. even know, like I had no idea really. And mm. so um, it it ended up being really great and having them as mentors and working with them then is still again paying dividends now and I just had no idea that mm. um, that would even be that way for me and so um, once I wrote the thesis I told my husband I was like you know I don't think that I could do a dissertation later I need to continue doing it now and at the time there were no other, there were no PhD programs of communications in Orlando. I would have had to either commute to uh, Tampa, to the University of South Florida, or either like three hours to the University of Florida in Gainesville, which we don't want to be Gators anyways, because I'm a volunteer. <laughs> yeah. I, I shouldn't say that. It's a wonderful <laughs> program. It's a great program um, there. The, the communications college is awesome there. Um, I'm just playing a little bit. Not so mm-hmm. much. But and your husband anyway, was FSU too. So. Yeah, so that's the only thing we really agree on is that we really don't like the Gators. So, but I would I would have gone there because it's a really sure. good program, and but it just was not feasible. And don't tell Jordan, but we got pregnant with our oops second baby as I was finishing my master's, and so commuting would not yeah. be feasible because I was the primary caregiver for our then three-year-old and a newborn baby. And my husband, Jack, was a high school band director that worked 16-hour days, seven seven or six days a week. So mm. it just wasn't doable. And so um, while I was still at UCF, I attended this conference called the PhD Project in Chicago. And basically, it's a conference where you can apply and they will pay all your expenses to come to Chicago for a weekend. And they kind of give you a crash course in academe and being a, a doctoral student and also being an assistant professor. And they talk to you about tenure. And that program is geared towards attracting minorities into business classrooms because mm-hmm. I had started trying to apply to business programs instead because those are the programs that were closer. Mm-hmm. And so, um, after I went to that conference, I went home and I was like, Jack, you know, I think we should move so that I can just go get my doctorate and you could just get a job wherever we are. And Jack was like, I support you, but no. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're, we're, I'm the breadwinner and I love him to death. I'm the breadwinner. He might not have used those exact words, but basically the reasoning was I'm the breadwinner. No, we're not moving our whole family for you to go to school. And Mm -hmm. I understood that. And so that's when I started trying to apply to business programs there um, close to home. So we wouldn't have, since we couldn't move and Jeffrey, they would not accept me. I think Mm. I I went through two rounds of applications. So for two years I applied and um, 
they wouldn't accept me because they didn't believe that a communications person could handle the rigor of business, which might be true now, because honestly, when I ended up taking a business tax course at Georgia, I literally failed it. But that's a whole other story. Um, (laughs) And so I just that's what I was trying to do, because that's what my situation required at the time. And it's so funny, you know, God knows the desires of our heart. And so even though I wasn't praying for Jack to have a change of heart because I felt like he was justified and not wanting Mm -hmm. to move just for me to go to school. I wasn't praying that, but I guess the Lord knew that that's what I needed to be able to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. And um, Jack had been planning to get a master's degree, but to do it in one of the music um, educators, summer programs where you just go Mm -hmm. two summers and then you can still teach full time. But he went to the Midwest conference Yes, he did, which I have to say, every time I talk about this conference, I have to say this. It happens the week before Christmas, usually. So I think way back in the day, a bunch of men, no offense, Jeffrey, but a bunch of men sit around a table and say that it would be okay to have this huge conference every year (laughs) and have some people arriving home on Christmas Eve because the wives, if they did have families would be able to take care of everything necessary for Christmas, then it wouldn't be a problem that they sometimes <laughs> arrive home the night before Christmas, but it's okay. I digress, but he attended. <laughs> and I remind him of that every time um, he goes, but it's a really great conference that he enjoys and looks forward to. And it's like cold in Chicago then too. So like they had to plan it that way. They meant for that to happen. They meant for that, yes. Yes, they did. They meant for that. Those men, those dads, those husbands, they meant for that to happen. But anyways, (laughs) he went to that conference and I don't know what it was, but when I picked him up from the airport on Christmas Eve, um, he said, you know what, LaShonda, I want to go to school full time. And I was like, who are you? And what did you do with my husband? But I did not ask any questions other than that. And I did not give him an opportunity to change his mind. I picked up my phone immediately and I texted my um, my advisor, the, the mother of crisis theory and said, okay, what are the top programs in communications that I can go to because now we can move to school? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so Jack got his short list together and then we applied to the same three schools. And I think that ended up being like a year and a half process, maybe. And it was so funny, like, talk about being broke. When we were there, like with all this going on, um, when I was getting my master's degree, I remember we were on one car because one of our cars died and we couldn't afford to get another one. So I would have to drive and drop our oldest daughter Jill off at Jack's band practice outside sit her with the people in his pit um, Mm -hmm. ensemble and they knew kind of what to do to watch her while they were doing band practice and I would catch the bus from his high school and I would ride four hours um, it took to get to the other side of Orlando to go to my night classes and I get motion sick and all of this so sometimes by the time I got there I would be nauseous from riding the bus all that time just to get there on time but that's what we had to do to, to make it wow. work and to move through our situation. And then when my class was over at like 9 30 or 10, Jack would drive 45 minutes over there to pick me up with our little baby. And then we would go home and do it again the next day. Oh and my um, so being proud, you know, having to drive the ride the bus or do whatever, like 
we weren't concerned with that because we were just going to make it happen, you know, even if it wasn't ideal. And so um, we did that. And I think right as we were applying to these graduate programs, both we, we did have two cars again. And both mm. of them died at the same time, like a month apart, they died. Mm. So we, we junked them for like $500 each. And um, we used that money to rent a car and to go visit those graduate programs that we were applying to so that we could have them put a face with the name and so that we could have those conversations. Because for me, um, my application uh, packet was strong, but my GRE scores were horrible. Mm. In a lot of programs, that's a deal breaker. And so what I wanted to do was to go meet with them and to kind of similarly to those informational interviews that I did when I was first looking for my first job in the industry, to let them know who I was, what I'm about, what I want to do, why they should have me there. But then to also explicitly ask them, hey, my GRE score sucks. Is that going to be a deal breaker? Because if it is, that's fine but I'm not even going to waste my time, money, or energy on applying if y'all aren't going to look beyond that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think mm. a lot of times people, even if they know what that elephant in the room is, they are just fearful in addressing that. But for me, I have to address it head on. And whether I say it explicitly like that or whether I'm providing information to demonstrate why that's not the deficiency that you think it is, mm. I'm going to address that so that we can move past that. And I wow. might even ask you if it's an interview or if it's that, like I'm talking about with the graduate directors, I'm going to ask you, are there mm. any reservations that you have about me? Let's talk about them now. Mm. And, and I think I think some people might be a little taken aback by that. And even when I didn't get jobs, I used to follow up and say, hey, do you have any suggestions on what I could have done better? And I still do Mm -hmm. that now. Some people will say nothing and some people do offer that. But I don't know. I just feel like in general, if you don't ask, you'll never know what the answer was. And the worst that could happen is that you don't get any response or any information. And then you're the same place you were before you asked. But if you don't ask at all, you never know. There might possibly be something else that you can get from that experience. Right. And so I honestly believe that going and meeting with those graduate directors gave me a leg up when all of these applicants were applying because the program at Georgia at Grady, I love my Grady peeps. That's one <laughs> of the best programs in the country and is very, yeah. very, very competitive to get in there. And thankfully, I got offered a graduate assistantship there. And the music program is very good there too with the Hugh Hodgson School of Music. And Jack got offered an assistantship there. But I remember when we visited there, he went to his meeting with the current director of bandstand and I went to mine and we both were late, like at the meetup point after. And when we finally did meet back up, we both were like, I'm sorry, I was late but I really love this. And we were like, you know, we also applied to the University of South Carolina, which is not very far from home for us. That's right. Columbia and Orangeburg is not far from there. And so we both were like, oh, I know that really, you know, USC should be our first choice because we would have help there with family close, but I really like Georgia. And we both thought the same thing. And we were like, this is our first choice. And lo and behold, Georgia was the only place that we got 
both got assistantships. Wow. So I really do feel like it was, you know, ordained. It mm-hmm. I really do feel like that was divine intervention that put us there. And I will say this, and I've been talking recently with my husband about this as well. At the time when we started telling people about leaving, like he had been working, I think, um, in secondary education. I, I think he had been working maybe 15 years or a little under 15 years. And it was his dream job. He was a high school band director. His late father was also a high, uh, I think a high school band director too. So he was kind of like a legacy in a lot of ways. And so when we started telling people that we were going, he was going to quit that job, mm-hmm. basically retire early from that, give up pension, everything for us to go back to grad school, both full time at the same time with an almost two year old baby and a five year old. Um, they were like, understandably so. Uh, you know, family and friends were like, is your marriage going to make it? Is this a good Wow. Uh, you know, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that they were trying to be negative. I genuinely think that they were concerned for us. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Jeffrey, I've never been so sure about anything in my life. Like nothing. I can say that. That move mm-hmm. from Florida to Georgia, I knew, I just knew that it was going to happen and that it was going to work out. And that's what we needed to do at the time. And I used to tell my husband before we knew for sure that we were going to move. I was like, and some of my friends, I would say, you know, I really don't know how I'm going to handle it if this doesn't work out because in my mind, it's already done. And Mm. I didn't think, and, and I really do think it was faith and that God had just already given me the peace and the surety that it was going to happen. And so in my mind, it was just a matter of time for it all to fall into place. But I still was like trying to at least, uh, you know, consider that it might not happen. But really in my mind, even when I had those internal conversations, I still did not believe that it wasn't going to happen. Wow. And, um, you know, even some of our close friends were like, we know other people who've done this and their marriage didn't make it. And I was telling them, I was like, I think the problem might be that I see him too much when we go do this, because honestly, <laughs> I barely see him now unless I go volunteer. You know, yeah. I'm at the band room just as much as he is, and I should be on the payroll and stuff. So if yeah. anything, I'm going to get tired of seeing his behind uh, <laughs> if, if he's not at work all the time. And so, but, you know, they were concerned, but because he and I were on the same page, and we had agreed mm-hmm. together and made this decision together. Hearing all of that, we heard it and said, thank you for your concern. But we kind of ignored it and did our own thing. And mm. at that time, um, I don't think we would articulate it in the same way. But we've had some unconventional steps even after that. And this is what it boils down to, at least for us. Your vision is meant for you and no one else. So Mm -hmm. if God, if you are sure that this vision is ordained by God, and when I say you, it can be an individual. If you are married and, you know, y'all are grounded in the Lord and everything is based in him, then his his vision for you is only for you. So, Mm -hmm. of course, people who don't understand, they can be well-intentioned and say, you know, 
I just don't see why this is a good decision. Y'all are going to basically be living in poverty based on how much money you make with young children. This just doesn't seem like a good idea. And it's all right for them to think that because the vision is not theirs and it never was meant for them to understand. And even like-minded people, they can understand it a little bit, but not totally because it's not meant for them. And so the people who were not given that vision because it was ours, they also were projecting their own fears about what they Mm. had thought was within their realm of possibility for whatever decisions they made as well. That's good, LaShonda. And if we get and if we get caught up, and that could be your parents saying it, it could be mm-hmm. your best friend. So people who really do, for the most part, have your best interests at heart, but they can project their inhibitions on you. And if you aren't careful and if you don't protect that vision, then that stifles you. Wow. Whew. That's that's good. I you know, and you know. Y'all made it work. I'm going to say this. Because you guys did that, y'all were a blessing to so many other people, even in the state that y'all were in. I remember I came over to (laughs) y'all's little apartment like every Sunday because I didn't have a washer and dryer. And so I came over there and washed clothes. I spent the night. Y'all fed me. So even even in that space where I and I think if you were not so secure in that decision, it would have been tougher for you to do something like that. But because Mm -hmm. you were so secure in what you were doing, it opened you up to be a blessing to someone else. Thankfully, and thank you for saying that, because, you know, that's our prayer. That's Mm -hmm. our prayer all the time for our family is that through what we do, where we go, that we can always be a depiction of God's love, whether or not it's what we're saying, but just through being there and through being who we are. And so thank thank you for saying that because Mm -hmm. that, you know, that that's what we pray for for our marriage, for our family. And oh yeah. And and it's funny though, but but you're right, like it definitely was a sacrifice. And if we both had not been all in, yeah, we could have easily failed at that or our marriage could have failed. Because Mm -hmm. honestly, like my children were on Medicaid while we were there because we couldn't afford to pay for health care. We had food stamps and I'm not ashamed to say that. And that's the other thing. So I know a lot of people are proud and, you know, don't don't like to tell their business but once we got there and I, I realized kind of what we were not working with and that we still had to feed these children and pay for daycare oh daycare mm. <laughs> and I first went to apply for it and it was a problem because I think kind of the way that the number of hours that I worked was not written in a way that would allow me to be eligible for public assistance and so some people would have said, okay, I guess this is not meant for me to have it. But I was like, well, what does it need to say? And so I went to our finance person in our college and I said, look, this is what I'm trying to do. And this is why. And I said, this is what I need this letter to say instead. So do you think that's something you can do? And she did it. Wow. And I wasn't embarrassed. And I don't think that she thought anything less than me because she's in finance. So she knows that they're paying me. And she know what daycare costs there. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I think 
like I said earlier, if you don't ask, then absolutely You'll you never won't get know. what you need. Right. That's and so right. I went to her and I just laid it out. I put it out there. And and that's just how I am because I think a lot of times, especially in academia, but other places too, people who are from different backgrounds don't understand kind of the the not limitations, but the lack of resources or the difference in resources that people can have. And they just assume that people can do things. Mm-hmm. And so- That y'all just got know. the disposable income. Yeah, to, yeah. Or you yeah, can borrow it. Or, yeah. or you have a credit card that has a large enough balance to be able to front the cost of stuff. No, like even now that still happens. And so I just talked to her and she helped and we got it. And it was a godsend for us to help us make it through that time. And, you know, there, there were other things that I was able to do because like my assistantship didn't pay through the summer, for example, but they Mm. expected us to take classes in the summer. They paid for the classes, but didn't pay us. Well, how do you think we're going to pay rent that we've been Mm -hmm. paying all year, but you're not paying us any money, but you want us to still go to class. Like something does not measure up. Right. And so I went to them and said, I'm not really understanding how this is supposed to work. So, you know, what opportunities do you have for me to still earn income in the summer so that I can be here? And at first they would kind of joke and say, yes, we're going to help you out so we can feed Jill and Jordan. We can make sure Jill and Jordan are fed. They weren't even there in the summer. They were in South Carolina. But Mm -hmm. because I went to them and was straight with them about my situation and what my needs were, Every summer I was there, I made money and was able to pay for everything that I needed to, but only because I asked. They didn't broadcast and say, yes, if you need help, we probably can hire you. They found ways to do that because I told them what the need was. You have not because you asked not. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And because I just knew that God ordained us to be there, that it was going to work out. Even if it looked really, really bad, it was going to mm-hmm. work out. A- and it did. Mm. You know, we could talk all, we could talk all day, but I feel like this is a good place to, again, from all of that to now <laughs> you're working, what you have said is your dream job. And we can get into that another time, but just briefly kind of describe, I was thinking about this earlier it's your dream job, but it's a unique work situation that you're kind of having to deal with. And so it's a dream job, but there's also some other sacrifices that you're having to make. Just talk about that a little bit. Yes. Well, I think I still have to go back to Georgia and just say that in my third year there, because Mm -hmm. my program was three years and Jack's master's program was only two, he left to start his doctoral program in Texas. And so I spent wow. my last year there with our two girls, whom you know pretty well. Yes. Uh, writing my dissertation and teaching and doing all of that while he Oof. started his program there. And so we spent that year apart and we knew that that likely would happen. So I had a good bit of time to mentally prepare for that. And so when I graduated, I got a job in Texas at Southern Methodist University to be close to where he was in school. So we were together for a year and then he got this great job offer at the University of South Carolina, but there was nothing for me right then. So he moved again. We agreed though. We agreed that he should go and take that Mm -hmm. opportunity. So we lived apart again and then kind of 
that job fell through it. The funding for that job fell through at the last minute and he had to find another job and ended up in Louisiana. So a third year that we were living apart. And so um, we learned that academic life can be very transient and that especially for dual academics, it can be challenging. Yeah. Um, and so we made the tough decision to basically live, maintain two separate households for those three years and mm. to try to see each other as often as we could. And I will say this is not for the faint of heart and it's not for everybody, but because we were so solid and sure in our marriage and we make a great team and we're always lock and step in these major decisions, we can do it. And nobody's jealous, you know, or concerned that somebody's doing something that they shouldn't when they're away. Like we are solid and confident in who wow. we are, what we are and what we have. And so that works. But like I said earlier about the vision, just because it works for us, doesn't mean that it would work for the next person because right. the context and the situations are always going to be different. And 100%. so I think it's easy to look in from the outside and say, yeah, you know, they, they did it so we can do it too. And that might be true, but that might not be true because this all was leading up to our vision and, and you know, what we wanted for ourselves. And so I think what you wanted me to talk about is that, um, Last spring, I got a really great job offer um, at to work at Penn State, where I am now. And I was at Southern Methodist University, which was great, too. And I could have stayed there forever, but Jack did not have work there. And that solo parenting thing really is for the birds, and we really wanted to be back together. And so when the pandemic started, um, right at the beginning of the pandemic, I was sick right before that for a month with like walking pneumonia. And I was just really kind of at my wit's end and struggling to kind of mm. keep everything afloat. And then at the beginning of the pandemic, I also had a, a, a miscarriage. And so it was just a lot of other things mm. that were going on. And Jack and I decided that wherever his next job would be, that that would be our home base for the family. And that if I could not find sufficient work there, um, that I would commute, we were thinking back to SMU because I had been working there then for like four years. So I was very um, comfortable in my position and I, I knew how I could possibly navigate something like that. Um, and then also through kind of all of the different job pursuits and trying to do the spousal hire stuff and understanding the academic job cycles, we also thought that our best strategy to get work at the same place would be to find two positions open at the same place and to get the offer solely on our own without even starting to do the spousal hire stuff. And so at the time, there were two positions at Penn State, one in band and one in communications. Mm -hmm. And um, so we both applied for it. And the one that Jack applied for actually, I think, had first been available a couple of years before, but for whatever reason, didn't come to fruition until last year. And he was applying for other jobs as well. And he got a really great job offer at Western Carolina University in Cullowee, mm. North Carolina, where mm -hmm. he is the director of the Pride of the Mountains marching band. That's over wow. 400 members and um, is a, a really great opportunity for him. But 
I also had a really great job offer from Penn State as well. And so, like, you know, I've said that we usually see eye to eye and kind of see the same, feel the same way about making decisions. And I have to be honest on this one. At first, we did not because I had a spousal hire. They like Western Carolina offered me a position there along with Jack's job so Mm. that I could work there with him. And um, it's a great opportunity for him, but what I would have to do would be drastically different than what I was doing at my current job, but also drastically different than what I had already been offered from Penn State. And this Mm -hmm. is one of the best programs in the country. And honestly, you know, at that time, I think, you know, that there was a lot of contention in our house because I wanted us to be okay as husband and wife because that's the most important thing. But we both are very ambitious people who worked really hard and sacrificed a lot to really be in the best places in our, you know, in our um, disciplines. And so I just wasn't quite ready to give up that opportunity. And uh, some people might think that it's being spoiled, but I think that I just have this crazy faith where I think, why can't I have it all? Not Mm. like in a selfish way, but why can't my husband be in the job that's best for him and I be in the job that's best for me and we still have a family and we still live together? Like, why can't, you know, why, who says I can't have that? And no, it's not selfish to believe that I can. I'm just crazy enough to believe that God can do that for me because he will and he has given me the desires of my heart. And if I continue to follow him, why can't? Why can't mm-hmm. I have all of that? You know, because I, I went through a time where I thought maybe I should be, um, you know, willing to kind of take a step back and be the trailing spouse because it's much harder for him to find work than me. Like mm-hmm. I really could probably find a public relations position almost anywhere that he went because those positions are being created quite often, but it's not the same for fan positions. Mm-hmm. And so I really had an internal debate about, you know, maybe I should take a step back to allow my husband to take a step forward and not really pursue, um, you know, the type of positions and institutions that I was pursuing, but I just, I'm not there yet. And the Lord did not tell me that yet, that that's what I was supposed to do. And so, um, you know, at first I had said, yes, I'll take the job. I'll turn down the job at Penn State and I'll take the job at Western, but I just really was unsettled and just did not feel good about that in my spirit. And so we had to go back to the drawing board and I was like, Jack, you know, why can't we do both? Cause he mm. was willing to come. If he did end up getting a job at Penn state, he was willing to come here for me. And I was like, I don't want you to though. I want you to take the job that's best for you. I yeah. need to let me take the job that's best for me. Best for me. The thing is, I don't think that's selfish. And I feel like we are uniquely prepared for that because we've already lived in two separate households. So nothing is worse than us living in two separate households because right now I commute, commute in air quotes weekly to teach. Like I'm in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania right now and I'll be back home t- Friday morning. And Mm. so in the fall, I would leave on Tuesday morning on a red eye flight, get here in time enough for my class. And then I would leave 
as soon as my class ended on Thursday. And then I would get home during the night on Thursday night. And it seems really hard, but honestly, it's the most work-life balance I've ever had in my life because when I'm here, wow. when I'm here, I'm working and I don't worry about home because I know Jack is great. He's a great dad. He's a great husband. He has it under control and he can parent just like I can. And it's always been a partnership from day one. And so when I'm here, I'm here and I work really like almost the whole time that I'm here. And I intentionally do that as well so that when I am home, I can be present for my family. And I try to be very protective um, of that time since I am away. And mm-hmm. in academe, I think I really appreciate that there's so much flexibility, at least in our discipline, and that you can kind of have this overlapping of boundaries. But for me personally, I think that went awry and became very overwhelming with yeah. church commitments children's extracurriculars, work, and all of that just mixing up too much. And so having these very clear cut boundaries for me is great. Um, And yes, if I wasn't flying every week, we probably could be saving a buttload of money, but it's okay because Mm -hmm. it's not just about the money. Um, You know, just having the Penn State name alone, I'm sure is opening doors for me and I'm just, I'm thankful for the opportunity. And as long as it's working for my family, I'm going to do it as long as I can. And so far, it hasn't been perfect, but so Mm -hmm. far, so good. And things are going well for him as well. And so, you know, we just thank God for that. Yeah. You know, LaShonda, I'm about to, um, we about to have to tie a bow on this, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's what I'm going to tell you. No, don't apologize. What I want to tell you is this. What I want to tell the world is this. She got all of that. She ain't even 40 yet. (laughs) I'm just saying. She's done all of that. She's not even 40 yet. And so keep grinding, man. Just that's what I want to encourage y'all. Listen. Cousin. cousin, I got to say cousin. Yes, Lord. But yes, you're doing your thing too. I'm listen. I'm trying. I'm trying. I gotta catch up. You're doing it. But Lashonda, Doctor, Doctor Lashonda, Doctor Lashonda (laughs) Eda, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun. Hopefully, somebody will get something out of it. So I really hope y'all enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed recording it. And did you catch those gems? What resonated with you the most? I know for me it was a point that everyone will not understand your vision. But if God gave it to you, you can take that to the bank. That's good stuff. I think we fall into that trap of seeking validation with our dreams and visions. But sometimes you just need to go even if you have to start out seemingly by yourself. Now, y'all gonna get up, make up your bed, get dressed. Hey, here's a question for you. Um, when's the last time you cleaned out your refrigerator? Yeah, let's go let's go ahead and do that this week. Yep, reach back there, throw out all that old stuff. 
I bet you find that Tupperware you've been looking for. Might even find a few pieces of silverware you thought got up and walked away. Don't ask me how I know. Anyway, y'all know I see you. I'm so proud of you. I'm rooting for you. You're doing great. And you're right on time. We'll talk soon.